0: You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thursday, September the 21st. Bright and early with you this morning, and a pretty damp, soggy start to proceedings here in TW11. It seems as though the case involving Luke Coma anabolic steroids and the irish horse racing regulatory board is not done yet coma as you'll remember was handed a three-year disqualification of his license last week after a dozen horses were found to contain anabolic steroids rishi passad is with me this morning rishi what is the latest twist in this tale well luke
1: coma had until late yesterday afternoon nick uh to dodge an appeal, which he has done. Um, He is going to contest the verdict of the hearing um, of the 12 horses being tested positive for anabolic steroids. Um, And in an interesting move, and you use use the word twist, um, the IHRB regulator, they've also uh, made an appeal against the leniency of the punishment there's, there's quite a few different elements to it one of the interesting elements um, I think Richie Forrester p- pointed out in his article in today's Racing Post um, is to do with the licensing now Jim Gorman who's the assistant trainer to or assistant to Luke Comer points out that you know Luke Comer was often off the premises and if he was on the premises he was gone by lunchtime he resides in Monaco and then there's that aspect of well perhaps the, 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 the authorities need to look at how licensing's uh, licenses are uh, given now in Ireland if the named trainer isn't even on the property uh, and is is is, is re- a resident elsewhere, not even in Ireland. So there are a number of different elements to it. But the actual uh, facts of what happened yesterday is that Luke Home is appealing uh, his sentence handed down to him. And the IHRB are saying that that was too lenient and they're looking for a, a stiffer sentence.
0: Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. It seems to show a certain appetite on the part of the, if you want to call them the new IHRB, under its relatively new chief executive, Darrow O'Loughlin, that they are unwilling to stand for malpractice, or at least they are wanting to be seen to be extremely unwilling to be casual when it comes to severe malpractice. This has been quite a bruising case for them. You only had to read the case notes to work that out both financially and i would say in terms of you know emotional stress for quite a lot of the people involved the fact that they're prepared to to go in hard again suggests certainly a more fervent appetite for lawmaking than there perhaps was under the previous regime
1: yeah I think you're that the sentiment that you have picked up on is is absolutely right you mentioned darren Loughlin who is now chief executive this is an opportunity for the IHRB to make a stand and to deliver a precedent that will hopefully deter and set a very, very high bar for the future in how these types of cases are dealt with
0: just to conclude first on the licensing issue that you raise and an important issue as well that you know luke homer is effectively not a full-time resident in ireland um he however is the current license holder now if somebody else wants to run that yard under a different name whether it be his son also called luke or jim gorman who has held the license before or held a license before then they are going to have to apply to the licensing committee it is not a guarantee That they are going to be given a license nor is it a guarantee that after this three-year period as it currently stands if everything is left to stand by the appeals board is luke coma guaranteed a license when he reapplies because his license has been withdrawn rather than suspended so that's a couple of points on licensing The, the other point is on what basis is he going to form his appeal and i would suggest that he is going to go heavy on the reliability of hair testing Given how many vets and experts he chucked at this in the first instance, I would imagine he's going to go around again and and say, you know, how reliable is this hair sampling? And I would imagine that is what will come under under scrutiny. I'm just guessing, but I would say that yeah. that, is, that is the strand, no pun intended, <laughs> that, he, that that he'll go at. Yeah, you're very good, lucky. Yeah,
1: no, I I think that that seems a very fair uh, summation of, and obviously the in in. In some of the testing, it mentions that he, even he knows no fear, um, the horse who won um, after finishing fourth in that race at Leopardstown, a hair sample was taken. So I think the veracity of hair sampling um, will certainly be brought to brought to, under more scrutiny.
0: So Luke Comer is appealing, the IHRB appealing against what they perceive to be the leniency of his sentence. That story is set to rumble on. All right, moving on, and we're going to focus now on the arc and beyond. And I do enjoy checking in with French-born, Japanese-based star rider, Christophe Le Maire, who has the key to so many of the major international prizes nowadays. He's also the regular partner of the world's best racehorse, Equinox, who was sparkling last time. And prior to that, had defeated Westover, Zagre, and Mustardaf in a stellar running of the Dubai Shima Classic, which he won in hand in a very fast time gearing down. What a racehorse he is. Looking forward to seeing him again very soon. Christoph has his eyes on the arc with another horse, more of whom in a moment. But Christoph, first of all, how is Equinox and what's the plan? Uh,
2: good afternoon, Nick. Um, yeah, the, the, the announce uh, has been done uh, on Monday. Uh, last Monday that the horse will run the Tenno Show next, uh, Tenno Show autumn, 2,000 meters on Tokyo Racecourse uh, on the end of uh, October. So very looking forward to riding him again. Uh, I will be on his back uh, on the 18th of October, so means two weeks uh, before, uh, before the big race. And um, from what I heard from the trainer the horse uh, is in very good condition he was not uh, as tired uh, after the takarazuke Kinen then uh, after the Dubai Shima Classic so it's a great, uh, point and very good sign uh, uh, concerning his uh, condition uh, as you said uh, his victory in the um, Dubai Shima Classic was an extraordinary, uh, outstanding performance in a very strong member. So, well, we expect uh, from him uh, some great performance uh, this autumn and very looking forward to seeing uh, seeing, uh, again uh, on the track. Is he is he a horse that
0: needs big gaps between his races, or is it just the way the races fall for him? Is it just the way the opportunities are?
2: Yeah, in his young age, uh, as a, as a three-year-old, uh, he needed some some time between races, so that's why he hasn't run that much uh, at that period. But uh, um, you know, he, he became. Uh, Race after race, he became uh, tougher, uh, more mature, uh, stronger. So uh, that's why uh, uh, that's why uh, uh, the the connection uh, planned uh, to run him Tenno Sho and then Japan Cup. And if everything goes right, he will go to the Arima Kinen, I guess, uh, end of December. So. The Connection thought about uh, doing that triptych uh, this autumn because the horse seems to be tougher than he was uh, at a young age.
0: Well, I can't wait to see him again. He's just a, a scintillating animal. Last time he ran at the end of June in the Takarazuka Kinen uh, at Hanshin, he beat a mare called Through Seven Seas. Now, he only beat her a neck even though he did it comfortably and you're going to ride through seven seas in the in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe now should we take that form literally and if we do take it literally how big a chance has she got in the arc <laughs> uh,
2: yes this is the magic of horse racing you know um of course uh, if if you watch uh, that performance uh, on Takarazuka Kinen's day, uh, you have to give her a big chance in the arc, of course. Um, but uh, that particular race, the Takarazuka Kinen, is a very tricky race, a difficult race to win. Many champions in that race uh, have been beaten uh so um, uh, when equinox won uh it was impressive because he, he came very very wide, very wide and uh, he still won but only uh only half length uh from uh through seven seas and uh but that feeling before the race, uh, for me, she had a very good chance because I, I had um, the chance to ride her uh, before that race. And she won very impressively a group three uh, with a lot in hands when, when we passed the winning post. And I knew she was a very talented filly. And uh, she did a great performance in the Takarazuka. So, of course, uh, running the arc is a big challenge for a Japanese horse. Uh, we don't know how she will adapt to the, to the ground, to Longchamp's ground. Uh, hopefully, uh, the ground will be uh, good or good to soft, but uh, of course, if, if the ground became, becomes uh, very heavy, uh, it will be difficult to her to, for her to, to adapt, to adapt herself. Uh, but uh, she's an improving mare, uh, she gets better and better race, race after race, and uh, you know the, the Japanese uh, connections, uh, they won't do the, the travel if, uh, uh, if, they, if they don't think that uh, the Philly can make a great performance.
0: I'm looking forward to seeing her and you, uh, uh, Lanchon, uh, Pretty luck to Triumph Day, and I cannot wait to see Equinox again. Christophe, as always, thanks so much for your time. You're welcome.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Christophe Le Maire there. Good luck to him on Equinox when he returns in the tenor show autumn and also on Through Seven Seas. A you'll be hearing plenty about in the run-up to the Arc de Triomphe. I am quite sure though she may not be the most talked about mare in the race. That could go to free wind that honour in rather unlikely circumstances, because she appears as though she's going to be Frankie Dottori's arc ride. And Dottori's had an amazing run in the arc. I think he's ridden in over 30 of them. His run was only interrupted by a broken ankle. And then I think he couldn't find a ride uh, last year. But uh, he he rides free wind, it, it looks uh, like. Uh, it's a, a surprise move, Rishi. It's extraordinary.
1: His arc record the most successful jockey in the race six wins dating back to sort of lam um yeah free wind seems to have emerged i mean the market suggested a couple of days ago when she was 66 six to one that this wasn't the the first instance for her and that perhaps frankie might ride emily up john emily up john though it's possible that she'll have other options um and free wind Obviously, the form has given a bit of a boost with Warm Heart coming out and winning uh, the Verme, And, of course, the horse that was behind Warm Heart and uh, Free Wind Save the Last Dance was fancied for the arc. Um, obviously, out now for the rest of the season. So, interesting how prices collapsed. Um, Frankie's obviously going to garner lots of attention for the fact that he's riding in his last arc. Um, but on the face of it, you'd think she faces quite a task up against the horses who are at the top of the market Uh, uh,
0: the extent to which john and thady gosden and it appears Aidan o'brien care about the british flat trainers championship uh, surprises me a little bit i mean it's not as though it's not as though they haven't had championships before though i note the joint licensees gosden senior and junior have not won a trainers championship and i wonder the extent to which that is driving certain plans as regards the end of the season. I mean, Clearly, you've got to get your owners on board as well. But at the moment, it's the Gosdens, 5,963,495, and Aiden O'Brien snapping at their heels, 5,407,419. You'd think Aiden's going to be very strong and loaded in some of those back-end two-year-old races. Plus, he's got Paddington to come as well, and possibly something else quite smart maybe running in the in the champion stakes who knows perm any one of about six and mm-hmm. he could he could catch the gosdons and I, I do wonder whether they're they're driving a lot of horses towards champion state hoping it's going to be dry they mentioned mustard the other day champion stakes if it's dry emily up john in the race she won last year um uh, in spiral and nashua possibly for the for the qe2 it, it's it's gonna make it quite spicy on that day isn't it
1: it will do um it's terrific to actually have something of interest in the trainers championship um I, it, when just looking at who might emerge successful i think i think the strength of aiden o'brien's team with his two-year-olds in particular almost those are gimmies you'll you'll say i know it's ridiculous to be so flippant about it but the strength of his two-year-old team this season incredible so you've you you, you give those to him you say well you can have those group ones, but. With the other, with the Champions Day races, that's the best option for the Gosden team, and I can see why for John and and Thady, it's a huge, a huge uh, opportunity for a father son team. But also, thinking of the future, and that obviously John will come to the end of his training career at some point, and Thady, once he takes command on his own, um, will already have had the title. Should they get across the line to? this year this time um but i think Aidan o'brien might might beat them to the punch this year because he's he's almost playing with the safety net of those two-year-old group ones in the bag
3: okay
0: um there's a bronze medal playoff as well between andrew balding william haggis and rafe beckett which i'm sure they will all have a very keen eye on they're all within a couple hundred thousand <laughs> of each other at the moment um, andrew balding introduced yeah. a very nice two-year-old yesterday uh, called dam buster and rafe Beckett. Uh, professed himself extremely satisfied with the arc preparation of Westover, who seems to be a bit of a a momentum horse going into the race. Rish, can he can he significantly improve on last year's running? Do you think?
1: I'm all over Westover. Um, this isn't the first conversation we've had on the podcast,
0: indeed not um,
1: about Westover. Uh, um, I, I'm convinced that the Hookham Westover King George is the outstanding mile and a half form for the for in relation to this year's arc and i think that although ace impact has been very good so far obviously nothing he's done will be the similar to the test in the arc it's a whole different ball game you have to find a little bit more i think the the positive vibes from connections that the ground is going to be better than it was last year it doesn't have to be quick ground as long as it's decent and it's not heavy ground i think that westover he's the horse that represents value for me and he ran i think i've repeated it now a million times he ran in the best race on turf this year which happened in dubai we were both lucky enough to be there where equinox beat westover mostardaf Zagre. the form is rock solid and westover ran a fine race and i think he has improved as the season has uh, progressed and it's it's possible Um, that he may have a little bit more improvement in him. Even on what he's done already, he's banging the mix for the arc, but there's the possibility that there might still be a little bit more improvement to come. And he is rock solid. He's rock solid to get to fill a place, I think, at 10 to 1.
0: If you are consigning top-class horses or potentially top-class horses with top-class pedigrees to a, a, a thoroughbred auction, If you are somebody who is involved in a young stallion and if you are somebody who has a boutique but very smartly bred broodmare band, then this is the time of year where you want all the stars to be aligning. And that is exactly what's happening for Watership Down Stud, their mares and their interest, of course, in Too Darn Hot, who the Lloyd Webbers raced with such distinction and with such success now stands at Darley and has made a blistering start to his stallion career with Fallen Angel, Group 1 winner of the glare Darnation now a Group 2 and Group 3 winner. Carolina Reaper, a Group 3 winner. The unbeaten Bohinia for Andre Fab, heading for Patton Company very soon. Simon Marsh from Watership Down. We have been following the progeny of Too Darn Hot right from the word go on this podcast, so it gives me a great amount of pleasure, but nowhere near as much as I'd imagine it gives you a uh, Madeleine and Andrew Lloyd Webber
4: no, it's been a, it listen, from the very beginning, this story is just a story that just keeps giving, and um, we've been incredibly lucky, and um, we're just absolutely delighted the way the horse is now um, performing as a stallion, I mean, it's something that you only dream of, but it is actually really happening, and he looks like he's a very, very serious stallion for the future.
0: Give me an indication as to the level, the level of nerves and anxiety when you're watching those first few progeny of too darn hot run, particularly if they don't run great.
4: Well, it's—I mean—at the beginning, it was—it was obviously quite frustrating because um, they were being run over five furlongs in very soft ground at Windsor and places like that, and um, and I and I and I always reckoned that you know his horses were were going to be or his two-year-olds would be you know really performing from august onwards which is what has happened um you know he himself ran his first race in august and you know the pedigree is full of um middle distance horses that maybe ran once um or not at all at two so it's not surprising that he's um he's really come to the fore later on in the in the season
0: and looking at these horses that he's had so far a fallen Angel, a very tough winner of the Moyglaire. She's going to go straight to the guineas by the looks of it. Darnation probably heads to the Marcel Boussac. Carolina Reaper, very tough. All different dam sires as well. Different sire lines represented in the bottom half of the pedigree. Are there things that characterize these horses that you've spotted particularly? Anything that surprised you or delighted you or that you've really observed?
4: um well, I think that um I mean Steve Parkin I congratulated obviously for when um, uh, when fallen angel won and i and i and I probably made a mistake in saying to him that you know she had a bit of um, sorry me about her, but he put me completely right and um, he was correct to do so in that um, she absolutely um, has all her mother about her and um, she's a she 's a beautiful filly. Um, I think the um I think Tudor not really does stamp his his stock. I think they, you know, he's such an attractive horse. He's a beautiful horse, and um, he, um, you know, I think they are all compact, racy type horses. Um, when you go around the sales, you know, they've all got a lovely head and eye about them, um, which which comes back from through Darara, and you know, Darshan was a horse who had a beautiful head and it was a very very attractive horse and obviously a brilliant stallion in his time
0: uh, and in terms of what what you know now have from from Watership Down to fly the flag for him going into to Tattersall's book one which is very much your sort of flagship shop window what what, what can we look forward to this time
4: um I've got well we've got a you know we've been obviously we didn't when we were making our decisions on which horses went to which sales um he you know, hadn't really kicked off then, but we've got three very nice two darn hots in book one. Um, we've got a, uh, we've got a colt out of America, Rikana, who we bought as a foal and um, he's done exceptionally well. And um, the pedigree has been helped by the fact that uh, camera legends has popped up um, uh, trained by James Ferguson. So um, he'll, he'll be very popular. And then, We've got, we've got an intriguing filly in the um, in the draft um, by Tudor darn Holt out of a mare called Trothias. And Trothias is a granddaughter of Darara, So she is actually inbred three by three to Darara, who who in her, herself was a blue hen mare. So she's got a very, very interesting pedigree and is a complete outcross, obviously, to all the northern dancers line or stallions or, or galilean saddle as Wells, um and then we've got a, another um cult um out of a called astronomy's choice uh, belonging to robin geffin and um he's a he's a really nice horse and i'm told the two-year-old um which is with john gosden um they like a lot and will hopefully come out uh, you know in the next month or so um which called wolf alice and i'm, I'm told they like her
0: so lots to look forward to at uh, Tassel's book one for the for the two darn Hots. Um, f- fingers crossed that the that the success story keeps keeps rolling along. Simon, thanks so much for your time.
4: No problem. thank you Nick.
0: All right, Tom Marquand, who you'll remember was a a key figure in the debate about whether there should be saunas on racecourses earlier on in the season, has put his head above the parapet again this time in relation to the one-meeting rule. This was another rule that came in during the COVID pandemic, that jockeys were only allowed to ride at one fixture a day, the idea being that they wouldn't be herring around the country and putting themselves and others at risk by driving too fast to get from one meeting to another and also to avoid them getting burnout. So it was a move put in during COVID to try and assist jockeys' well-being, and it stayed, a bit like saunas not being on racecourses, stayed. And Tom Markman doesn't like this rule, either and says he's very happy to ride at two meetings and it means that he can't chase down the jockey's championship which is frustrating him he wants to work harder and he's not being allowed to work harder um it's restraint of trade is it isn't it rishi uh
1: is it restraint of trade that's a good question i'm I'm not sure i've not enough time to debate that in my head whether it's restraint hang on a
0: minute Aren't, aren't you a aren't you a master in law
1: yeah, I am. Um, but, no, I, but that's I need the moment. I need the time to debate whether it's restraint or trade. or not. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think that it's. It, when you consider the sentiment behind Tom Mark saying today, uh, in the Racing Post, that the one meeting rules hampering his title bid, that that should be where we should be working from in relation to this rule, because that is one rider who is massively successful and in a position to. To challenge for the title that is not the position of the majority of riders in the weighing room would be how i would view his his comments um obviously the most successful ones which is a limited number uh, they can strive for riding more often they're more in demand and i understand that uh, but i think the utilitarian principle would be that it's better for everyone current one meeting rule for well-being for mental health for the the physical the less physical demand on them uh, in terms of getting around the country um and it offers a little bit more of a lifestyle now he mentioned in he mentions in the article that he and, and holly don't actually see that much of each other they've seen each other one night one night in the past fortnight um but they are both in the same camp they're both in the very successful camp i mean there was a moment that you could have considered Holly for the title at some point during the season. So I think it's I think it's hard to use his sentiment in order to set the rule for everybody else, because it's he's we're talking about a much smaller sample size when you're talking about what he wants the two rules for, but the two we, meeting rule for.
0: If we flip that on its head, you know, what he's saying is what's good for the goose is not what's good for the gander. And indeed that's exactly what you're saying. So why does there need to be a rule? um short of there being a guideline to to you know what what races you can ride in through sensible timing i mean if, if the guidelines are laid down that mm. mean that you, you can't get in a situation where you are trying to race down the hard shoulder or do something stupid so you know th- they actually measure the times properly so you can you can't ride in the you know the 520 at Ascot and the you know 620 yeah. at goodwood or whatever then then I don't. I don't really see what what the issue is. I think there's just got to be a bit of common sense applied. I I would I would disagree that it. I, and I've always maintained this position that it's a, it's a great big broad brush, applied to to everybody, all of whom have slightly different wants and needs and desires. And um, I don't know. I just think I, I realize we have to look after our. Well, well, the rule has. Yeah.
1: I get. I hear. I hear what you're saying, L- Lucky. But I think the rule has to be a broad brush. You can't cater for all in in if you're making rules you can't say you know there'll be one rule you can ride that because it's impossible to to dictate um individually in a situation like this and i i think the you know the welfare of of the riders is is huge uh, you and i've worked enough times on race courses to know that that jockeys in, in often during the summer season the height of the summer season they struggle with the demands on them um and I obviously originally, when the rule was brought in, there was certainly a refreshing
0: acceptance of of the new rule. Um, but again, it's a, it's uh, the similar principle with the saunas insofar as insofar as it's a rule that came in during COVID. Yeah, in in a, in a completely artificial in a completely artificial scenario, which has now been applied beyond COVID.
1: But, but it's possible that something positive may have emerged from COVID and that this may be one of them that it actually helped them. And as I said, I, said, I think when it came in, the refreshing change of not having to be challenged to go from meeting to meeting. And for the non elite riders, not having to, to go from one meeting for one ride to one meeting for one ride, you know, spread out over 500 miles or whatever um was that it seemed to be well received perhaps another canvas of opinion um might be worth it now if if this is indeed a widespread concern amongst the weighing room
0: well again one from pods past we we did discuss not long ago rishi and i the uh, extraordinary record of trainer Marcus Tregonning in one of the more interesting two-year-old races that takes place at this time of the year. And it takes place tomorrow, Friday at Newbury. It's the Haynes, Hansen and Clark uh, Stakes. And Marcus has won this with a whole litany of good horses. Um, I'm thinking uh, Marcus joins me now. I'm thinking Naef was comfortably the best of them, Marcus. Am I right there?
5: Well, he was pretty damn good, wasn't he? Because he went on an unbeaten two-year-old, obviously. And then he went on and won all those group races um and i was a bit unlucky in the king george they they showed that um race again the other day for some reason but but you know he was a very good horse absolutely
0: and it's a race you've loved to introduce horses in. you've won it with debutants you've won it with horses who've won a race before what is it about it that that you've kind of gone back year after year for
5: well, I think it falls into a time of year whereby you know these more backward types, you know, it's a mile, obviously, and um, you know that, that that's the sort of time you yeah, these horses sort come out, and it just seems a suitable r- r- race with a very good prize. It's now a novice race, not a conditions race, as it used to be in the old days. But um, I know I've always targeted it with these sort of horses. Newbury's a fine track, good galloping track, and it, and it suits um, horses of the type we're running um, this week.
0: So it immediately caught my eye when I saw you had a, an entry, particularly an entry in the in the Shadwell Silks, with, with, in, within which you, you've won so many of these. Horse called Mufid, who is a very big price at the moment. Just tell me a little bit about him and, and what sort of ability he's got.
5: Well, he 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 has been a backward horse. He's out of a sea of the Stars mare. Um, you know, and he, but he's by a very good stand. If you look at the stats of Luke de Vega this year, they're absolutely fantastic. I think he's had more individual winners than the other stand virtually. So, I mean, he's done really, really well. Um, I, I you know, haven't had too many of them. Um, I've got a son of Luke de Vega called Spanish Blaze, who I think is quite decent, nice horse for next year, who's won a couple this year. Um, but, um, you know, he, he's, um, he, he's, he's, he's quite a nice horse. Uh, you'll see he runs a time strap, while well, his half-brother did, uh, when he won for William Haggis, so um, I just think you know he, he's one of these backward types, that hopefully will improve over time.
0: And, and is that really is that the reason you've put the, the tongue tie on? You've just gone back through that and thought, well, it might just it might just help him a little bit.
5: Well, I, I felt it, he 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 gargled a, a couple of times in his work, which was a bit, um, you know... But sometimes, you know, you, you can do an overground scope on these horses and find there's nothing, you know, needs sorting. But there might be need something he needs doing over the winter. Obviously, heavy ground's going to test his stamina to the full, because that's what they're giving out this morning. Um, you know, and... Um, We'll just have to see, but yeah, you know, there are winners in the race. And um, one or two might drop out, I think, because of the ground. But um, there are winners in this race of one on soft ground, so it's going to be a, a competitive event as it normally is. And um, we'll see how he goes. But um, hopefully, he'll run a nice race.
0: Fingers crossed! I think there'll be an awful lot of people uh, cheering you on, uh, nostalgists, nostalgists, and opportunists alike. Uh, Marcus, thanks so much for your time.
5: Hi, <laughs> right, thanks. No problem. Thanks so much. Bye now.
0: If you were with me on the podcast last week, you may well have heard me talking to English-born, French-based trainer Noel George, son of Gloucestershire trainer Tom. Noel has partnered up with Amanda Zetterholm uh, to create a a really interesting stable of quality horses in France. And some will be mixing and matching racing in France and the UK, or beginning their careers being broken in here, going to France and then coming back here maybe. One of those isle francais their flag bearer is set for some very interesting targets in the UK during this winter, having established himself as one of the leading young horses in France over the last couple of seasons. And there are plenty who are wanting to get on the George Zetterholm bandwagon and bring a, an Anglo-French flavour to racehorse ownership. One such syndicate is Provence Racing, uh, marshaled by Steve Jones, who's with me now. Uh, Steve, just, just tell me what you guys are trying to do.
6: Yeah, well, it was kind of an idea I've had for a little while, Nick, um, sat outside having a nice meal at at Longchamp in the summer at the Grand Prix de Paris and thought it would be a wonderful thing to do, to bring people something a little bit different. Owning horses is part of a syndicate in France, and, of course, it's much harder to do on the flat. And kind of all the stars aligned. I've known Tom for a a good while. Tom George uh, worked for him for the winter before Covid struck and uh, and I've known Noel for a a long time and uh, the fact that in France you can compete uh, in jump racing because of course all the young horses get sold for big money to go to France so what we're doing is taking horses that have uh, the the right profile have uh, certainly our first horse um, uh, Claire Danay, who some people may remember, won the Castle for Chase, and we, we're taking him back to run for for big prize money in France. And I think there's many strands to Provence racing. Uh, the fact that the prize money is so good in France, this is going to be if we get it right. This isn't going to cost much money at all because you're going to get a lot of the, the outlay, if not all, back in in prize money and it's just such a wonderful place where nolan amanda are in just outside shanti straight onto the the gallops through the forest it's a beautiful area it's a most wonderful place to to spend a few uh, either a break or or just nipping across the the channel it's it's easily accessible it's not expensive to get to you can watch your horses on the gallops in the schooling grounds and it's just a beautiful place to be and the, the racing experience in France is very relaxed it's very enjoyable and uh, I think French racing has got so much going for it and it's just Provence racing is giving some something different to racehorse ownership that we believe isn't happening i.e. giving british owners the chance to own horses in France and uh, hopefully everyone will get on board and it'd be a lot of fun because that's the that's the aim is it's it's going to be cost effective and, and huge amounts of fun
0: all right so when are we likely to see some Provence racing action
6: well our first tour to claire daniel head over to france in a week or so and be ready to run in, in about a month and i think this is another strand to why noel and amanda have had so much success so far and i think this is part of the chance to be part of something very big. I think Nolan and Amanda have got something very unique. They've already they're closing in on a million pounds I think they're only a few grand shy of a million pounds. The fact that they've been uh, so successful, they only had their official license in March is quite staggering and so you you join Provence Racing and you're going to get immediate action because uh, it will be ready to run in a month but the the fact that this horse has been at Slab with, with Tom, he can use the hill gallops and all his superb facilities to put the, the muscle and the condition and the strength on these horses and when they go over to Shanti, which is largely flat sand gallops, uh, they're, they're a lot strong, stronger than a lot of the other horses and I think that is another part of, of the success story for for Nolan Amanda, albeit they're they're two very talented people that complement each other fantastically
0: steve jones there and if you want to find out more about provence racing you can do so on twitter at provence underscore racing instagram at provence racing and the website www.provenceracing.com and of course it is not just in france that we're thinking about jumping we are starting to think about jumping in earnest in this country now and with that in mind, it is time to launch Paul Ferguson's Jumpers to Follow, now in its 17th year of publication, uh, sponsored by Fitzdares, our partners, of course, here on the podcast, and produced by Weatherbees, who have very kindly offered you, Nick Luck Daily listeners, a discount for the Paul Ferguson Jumpers to Follow, NLJTF23 nick luck jumpers to follow nljtf23 is your discount code for jumpers to follow this gives three pounds off print digital edition and the print digital bundle and i'm delighted to say that paul joins me now paul what can we expect this year
3: um, more than nick um yeah the book is pretty much in a similar format to the last couple of years really um a new edition this year in terms of the jockeys who contributed is harry cobden who's obviously a welcome addition given the strength and depth and of and talent down at ditches um the main section of the book is my 40 leading prospects uh, which are carefully selected a couple of more obvious ones than others and then i've tried to find a few handicappers this year and horses who would probably be starting off in that novice handicap company as they go over fences
0: Okay. And you've got some novice hurdlers and chasers for us to specifically look out for. And I always find at this time of year, I really do need my memory jogged. I was asked the other day to, to name a Cheltenham Festival winner. I could barely do it. So um, happily, happily, you're, you've you've delved deep and you've come up with three novice hurdlers and three novice chasers for us.
3: I'll uh, yeah, we'll start with the novice hurdlers. I've gone with three once-raced um, uh, runners. Uh, firstly, a horse called Gidley Park, who's trained by Harry Fry. Um, he is, as you might guess by the name, a son of a walk in the park. He was an impressive bumper winner at Chepstow on soft ground. Looks like a strong gallop and Sword. sort. Uh, that form was Frank when the runner came up. Uh, came out and won an impressively a Foss last. Uh, I think he'd be a nice novice hurdler up to two and a half miles. Um, second on the list is Indivar Blue. He won a bumper at Weatherby for Ollie Murphy and Diana Waitley um, towards the back end of the season. Again, visually very impressive. Probably wasn't as strong a bumper uh, that Gidley Park, won. and he's he probably a horse with a bit more pace. So, expected to start off over the minimum trip. But he looks an exciting prospect. And talking to Paul Nichols and Harry Cobden, they've got plenty to look forward to in the novice hurdle division couple of high-class um, prospects in the shape of Captain Teagan in the Waterside, maybe one a little bit more under the radar, horse called Irandando Haas. He actually ran in a race at Otoy last September and joined balls soon after, um, but he was given a year off. Uh, he didn't run in juvenile hurdles and he's been kept back and given time to strengthen up. I've seen him down on ditches a couple of weeks ago and he's a lovely-looking individual. Um, so, again, he should be one to look forward to.
0: And what about the uh, the chasers?
3: Uh, we'll start with Giovinco because he's actually the horse who features on the front cover this year he was ah. three on three over hurdles for Lucinda Russell last year I think listeners might recall him winning a listed novice hurdle towards the end of the season at Perth in impressive fashion I would expect him to go straight over fences now and looks the type who would rattle up a sequence up north um, the other two are a pair slightly le- less exposed and um, lower rated at the minute, one trained by Ben Paulin. Um, a horse called hercules morse he's only a five-year-old and didn't actually run in points points or bumpers so he's only had a three race course appearance so looks open to um, plenty of improvement this year's big sun of blue brezel um, and i would expect him to improve from his current mark of 119 and the final one um, another one for in the north trained by donald mccain five-year-old called sleeping satellite uh, he was an irish point-to-point winner and again we only seen him four times um, last season he won a bumper in the, in the fog of Caswick, he didn't see much of that race. And then he won a novice I Carlisle. Slightly disappointed on his final start. But again, he, he looks a big individual. Probably needed time to fill into his frame. He's only got a rating of 110. So I'm hoping Donald goes straight into a novice handicap chase with him.
0: All right, thanks for my guest today. Rishi's still with me and he's got a tip for you.
1: Look, I'm going to the 5.30 at Pontefract. Lucky uh, Dubarbi Warrior. One over course and distance, two starts back. Ran appallingly last time when finishing uh, last at Hamilton. But he's been gelded. He's got cheek pieces on for the first time. He's got outstanding pedigrees, rated 78. I'm sure he's better than that. Um, Tom Marquand uh, has made the journey to Pontefract for one
0: meeting today um, <laughs> and hopefully it'll be worth it. <laughs> Just the one meeting for Tom Marquand. Dubawi Warrior is Richie's selection. That was Thursday, September the 21st. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>